Good morning, guys, and uh, welcome to our final day of the 2023 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. We thank you for uh, braving some inclement weather this morning. And uh, as your reward for it, we've got a pretty good golf panel for you. So um, today's golf panel will be the new age of golf, players versus the game. We've got three great panelists and a fantastic moderator up here for you today. Our first panelist is Mark Brody, statistician and professor at Columbia Business School. We have Alex Baldwin, who's the president of the Corn Ferry Tour. We have Dan Zelazinski, chief commercial officer at 21st Group. And we have Susie Whaley, president of Golf Nation. Um, we'll do about 45 minutes for the, the panel, and then last 10 minutes we'll open up to audience Q&A. If you want to submit a question for the panelists, please do so via Twitter, the hashtag players versus the game, players vs game, not the game. Um, and with that, I'll hand it over to you, Susie. Thank you, Max. Morning, everybody. Look at that, a bunch of golfers in the room. I love it. I'm always thrilled when we see the chairs full. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I was at the conference last year as well, and I'm always enamored and amazed uh, at how terrific these students are, what you're doing in stats, how you're helping sports evolve, how the new and startups are just crushing anything that's traditional in a very traditional sport. Um, and that, for me, as a progressive person and a progressive thinker, but also who loves 18 holes in the traditional game is a dichotomy that I try to manage every single day. Um, but I'm getting to the point of that. I think today, you know, our hope is to share with you some of the metrics that we're actually uh, tracking very closely now in the game of golf. And I want to share with you that technology in the game is actually, for, for the sport itself, while we think we're slow to it, has not been that slow. TrackMan, if any of you take lessons or have been over to uh, the simulator. TrackMan is um, multiple options, like TrackMan. is a laser unit, but that's 20 years old, um, and people don't realize how old TrackMan actually is, and obviously they've updated their software and analytics to be current and progressive as well. But what we'd like to talk about today is kind of showcasing to you um, the evolution of the sport, and I think Mark has been somebody that has completely changed the way the sport is looked at, talked about, tracked, from a player perspective, certainly. Um, but as we look at, the conference has been heavily weighted in sports betting, as we look at what that looks like for the game of golf as well. And then Alex, who is the commissioner of the Corn Ferry Tour alongside Latin America and Canada, is the singular track to the PGA Tour. So you can imagine the responsibility that she has on a day in and day out basis, not only for her players, for, the, for partnerships and sponsors, and then Dan, uh, really the mix of the two from player to corporate to statistician, um, I hope we have an opportunity to share with you what we're thinking about for golf and what we believe the consumer will look at for golf. So to start, I'm just going to have them introduce themselves a little bit more than um, just the one brief uh, introduction that Max gave, and then we'll get going. So I'll start with you, Mark. Uh, my name is Mark Brody, and I'm a professor at Columbia Business School. That's my day job, and then what I spend a lot of my time doing is really golf analytics, where I get to combine my professional and personal passions and scraping an academic to be able to do that. Alex Baldwin, I'm the president of the Corn Ferry Tour, and as Susie mentioned, I have oversight of what we call the PGA Tour Pathways. So all the different paths that it takes for what we see sort of the world's best players that want to access the PGA Tour. So uh, that contemplates our PGA Tour University program and our tours both in PGA Tour Latin America as well as PGA Tour Canada, and then that access that provides comes into the Corn Ferry Tour and eventually um, the PGA Tour. Uh, Dan Zelazinski, I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at 21st Group. Um, someone asked me a question yesterday about my, my journey and, and how I've managed to get to this point. I think I use the, the best articulation I can give. I've, I've figured out a way to get compensated to combine a deep passion for, for sport and uh, you know, a, a desire ultimately to commercialize uh, uh, performance data. That's the thing that I get out of bed excited about in the morning. That's the thing that 21st Group gets out of bed every morning is how do we figure out how we leverage real-time predictive intelligence to, to give our clients a competitive advantage, uh, but more importantly, how we balance the kind of growth of the, the quality of the sporting side of the equation, but how we also we, we unlock commercial potential as well. So I'm super excited to be here and, and uh, yeah, I managed to navigate the snow. I was a little bit concerned this morning when I, I got out the window of uh, the, the, the hotel in Cambridge. Yeah, well, great. Thank you. 
Mark, I'm going to start with you. And could you take us through kind of the evolution and even the beginnings of, you know, you've written a book about it, of Shotlink and, and where it came from, what it does, and how certainly it's, which is a big question, I apologize, how it's certainly changed, in my perspective, the way players prepare. So the PGA Tour was kind of very far-sighted in 2004 and they came up with a shot tracking system called ShotLink where they record where every shot starts, where every shot finishes for every player at every event. And that was just phenomenal in terms of analyzing the game, whereas in the decades prior, all you could do were counting things. How many fairways did you hit? How many putts did you take? And you can't learn very granular, detailed information from, from that kind of data. But when you have every shot, then you can analyze performance. And the metric I came up with, strokes gained, is measuring the quality of a shot. How much better or worse is it than a benchmark? And the benchmark would be a PGA Tour average shot. So if somebody hits a 300-yard drive down the middle of the fairway, you can think of them as gaining fractions of a stroke relative to an average shot. Or if they miss an eight-foot putt, they're losing fractions of a stroke relative to an average putt. And it turns out it's not a new idea. If you take a look at soccer, expected goals, you take a look at football, expected points added, you take a look at baseball, expected runs added, it's all strokes gained in disguise. It's all performance relative to a benchmark, and how you do it in golf is a little bit different uh, than these other sports, but it allows you to very finely measure the player's strengths and, and weaknesses. And I think of the use of data as having three buckets. One is measuring performance is kind of the, the money ball idea. The other is in-game decision-making. So, you know, what, what kind of plays do you run? What kind of pitches do you throw in golf? It's do you hit a driver or an iron off the tee? Uh, how aggressive or conservative do you want to be? And sort of a third bucket for data and, and analytics would be in improving performance. And that's where things like TrackMan, launch monitors, um, 3D biomechanical data can help uh, players to improve. But with strokes gain, we finally learned that, well, drive for show, putt for dough is a famous expression. It's just not right. <laughs> uh, the best players in the world, you take a look at the top 10 in the official world golf rankings, they're the best ball strikers. They hit it far, they hit the iron shots close, and on the weeks they win, they putt well. So it's not that none of these matters, it gives you uh, a better idea of the relative value of, of each of these different skills that go into golf. Can I add a point to Absolutely. just on top of it? So I, I add a fourth bucket. To, Mark is incredibly humble about the, the, the work that he's done and, and you know, has catapulted the three elements that he talked about. There's a, there's a fourth bucket which is you know, true to us and what, and what we do, which is the ability for that, that information to become currency for storytelling. And that storytelling is the ability to engage with fans, let them understand the differences between these players and their attributes, let fans celebrate just how damn good these folks are, because sometimes it's hard to comprehend. We, we kind of get, you know, the, 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 the senses get dumbed down when they're all that good. So the ability to kind of call out phenomenal shots and the storytelling potential, because ultimately, you know, every, every one of us in this building today, we're, we're at the mercy of the economics of sport. That's a function of how strong, you know, the number of connections and the strength of those connections to fans. And, and you know, what Mark has evolved is ultimately you know, real currency that the sports benefited. And, and yeah, so it's, we've got a lot to be thankful for Mark, for, for Mark's side. So I just wanted to follow up with that. What's the question I get, which of course I'm not, not the PGA Tour, I don't work for them, not a spokesperson for them, but why did they create shot link and shot tracking in the first place? It wasn't to come up with better statistics. It was, as Dan said, to tell better stories. An announcer couldn't tell whether this was an eight-foot putt or a 12-foot putt when they're out in the fairway. Were they 170 yards or 190 yards? This would give putt distances accurate to an inch, off-green distances accurate to a foot, so they could tell much better stories. And this was before smartphones, and now you can follow players, and you can follow every shot on your mobile phone. And they had the foresight to do this before that technology was available. And I think one message is that once you start collecting data, you might not know all of the great uses that you can put it toward. And this, this just worked out very well. And I think golf has been far ahead of, of other sports in terms of using 
shot tracking data and, and TrackMan kind of data that's uh, Ben Baldwin had, um, sorry, there's the book The MVP Machine where it's talking about data in baseball. And in this book, it's, baseball was 10 years behind golf or golf was 10 years ahead of, of baseball doing similar things. Well, I think I would add to that sort of just the, the, the magnitude and the impact that ShotLink has had, but just for everyone in the room, kind of thinking about operationally the execution of what ShotLink is and what it is in the context of a golf course. In a ballpark, in a basketball arena, you have one court, you have one ball. If you think about golf, okay, you have, first of all, you have a, a country club or a municipal golf course that operates 51 weeks out of the year without a tournament. So there's an entire infrastructure that has to be built. Um, I would add from a business perspective, our tournaments are nonprofits. They're, they're basically small businesses, right? So we're, we're bringing in an infrastructure across 18 holes where you have fields of 156 players, and at any one given second, you have 14 balls in the air at the exact same time. So to be able to cover that kind of, I think, I think what is, you know, an average golf course on the small side is about 160 acres, right? So to be able to cover that footprint with the technology needed to track and collect that data is also just a, a, a pretty significant feat um, and operationally a high cost. Yeah, I mean, just for ShotLink alone, I think there's 300 volunteers on site at every event uh, to actually manage ShotLink. They've tracked 20 million golf balls uh, to date for that data. And uh, as a commentator, I work for PGA Tour Live and ESPN and ESPN Plus. I'm here to tell you what you hear us saying to Mark's point now. Um, when I'm evaluating a shot, if you're standing there on the ground next to a player evaluating and trying to analyze and predict what they may possibly do, certainly I can't get in the player's head. The caddy is always the best scenario for you to listen to and hear, not me or anybody else that's on the ground because the caddy is going to give you better insight than any of us can. But predictively now, I have shot link data straight in front of me. So if, for example, Colin Morikawa, who we know is the best iron player in the world, is outside of 172 yards, I can tell you exactly where he stands on tour from that shot in the moment that he's hitting it. And for golf, that's an incredible feat to be able to do that. So if you hear somebody say, oh, you know, from here, he's second in the world, uh, his strokes gained is plus 2.4 from here overall for the course of his career, it's an incredible opportunity for us to be able to give you access that perhaps you wouldn't have had before, or get quite candidly, make an incredible error as a commentator and say, oh, and I think he's going to hit this 20 feet, and they hit it four feet, and all of you in the room are like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. He hit it four feet. So it's a lot easier, I think. ShotLink has made that nice for us. Um, Alex, I'm going to go to you for a second. You know, on your tours, you have 275 members from 22 countries. You've graduated six FedEx Cup champs, which is the year-ending season finale. 27 major champions have come off Corn Ferry. You have 600 PGA Tour wins, and 88% of the current tour come off the Corn Ferry Tour. And as you look at your player composition, and, and obviously that is something that you have to oversee and do, you're also responsible for being able to give them this pathway. Week in and week out at localities, inclusive of corporate sponsorships, fans, and, and how that build-out even looks. Can you talk a little bit about how you analyze where you're going to go, um, the geo-targeting for your events, and, and, and how, as a, a business, are you actually running on a return, but also delivering this incredible pathway to players to be the best in the world? Yeah, there's, um, there's quite a bit to it, certainly, as we think about the markets where we play and we think about sort of what the tournaments ultimately need to deliver, both as a business but also as a competitive test. So just simply through the lens of the player, okay, we, one of our big metrics in terms of, yes, winning on the PGA Tour, playing well in major championships, collecting those season-ending awards, having, you know, a Scotty Scheffler as the number one player in the world, those are all really key metrics. But for me, um, our role is to prepare and to develop. So once our Corn Ferry Tour members, right, we award 30 cards at the end of our season, 26 tournaments for 30 PGA Tour cards. 
I always look at those first time, those rookies, those guys that are first time members on the PGA Tour, and at the end of the season, what is the staying power? How, what percentage of that group stays on the PGA Tour? How well have we prepared them competitively as far as the variety of golf courses, the conditions, um, the, the international composition, right? The different parts of the United States that we play. Um, so as we think about our schedule and really balancing um, so many different factors, but how do the golf courses from week to week, I don't want, I don't want them to play the same style of golf course three, four weeks in a row. We want to be able to create that variety so that um, they're tested in a way that once they do get to the PGA Tour, they can compete at the highest level. So that's one, one part of the puzzle, if you will. And the second is the markets, and that's where we really do market analysis are, again, small businesses, right? We are not the PGA Tour. We are not broadcast on NBC. We have six events on television. It is a very different financial proposition for our tournaments to be able to be financially sustainable. So the work that we do in terms of market analysis, um, our, our tournaments cost about, it's about $1.2 million to run an event on our tour. And our, our, our title sponsors take up a little, a little less than half of that, cover that, but our tournaments need to be able to generate that local sponsorship revenue. So we support them with a very um, robust and in-depth um, sales analytics and revenue management plan, assessing the marketplace, core buyer profiles, what are the zip codes where you can find those you know, core buyers, what is the market penetration. So um, it's a combination really of sort of balancing kind of the business side and the competitive side that ultimately gets us that, that optimal market. Can I build a little bit on the on the preparation side? I, I think the other thing that's you know we, we see this from a and we have a performance intelligence vertical where we support athletes across a number of sports gain a competitive advantage. And I think you know I know there's some exciting evolution and develops coming coming on the Corn Ferry Tour. And and I think the ability for these folks to to learn and to have feedback loops that never existed in their performance, right? Their their ability to to understand blind spots, to understand their benchmark of certain areas they gain relative to other their counterparts and also to project forward and say if my aspirations are to be on the PGA Tour, I now have a really clear understanding of the gap that I have to close relative to specific attributes of my game. That then starts to be make smarter decisions about my practice and my preparation, where it's to, whether it's to beat the demands of a specific golf course or to close a gap in my short game or my, or, or my iron play. So I think the really exciting thing about in terms of data for good and come back to that narrative of the conference, the, the ability for data to inform smarter decision-making for these folks at a really early and critical point in their, in their career, and, and for the cream to rise to the top as fast as it possibly can. That, that for me, is you know, the, the, what's so exciting about the next chapter and the, the reach and the markets that you have and the storytelling opportunities in markets where the, the, you know, the, the tours might not have a connection with those audiences and those local markets. So storytelling, accelerating pathways, you know, there's just so much rich stuff to come for you. And every journey is different. Yeah. Every player path is different. And a young man by the name of Ryan Gerard was part of our PGA Tour University program, graduated in June, and his standing on the PGA Tour ranking gave him access to PGA Tour Canada. Earned his Corn Ferry Tour card um, that season. And I saw him right before uh, the season ending event congratulated him and he said, thank you. He said, I needed this. I knew I had the game. He goes, but my coaches have been making my hotel reservations. They've been taking care of the local transportation to get me to the golf course. You know, they would tell me when my tea time was. It was, this was my time to sort of be that independent, understand what rhythms, what, what, what I, how I needed to plan the week to be able to perform at my best. Um, he played four events with us at the beginning of the season and ended up Monday qualifying for Honda um, last week, top 10 finish, which got him into Puerto Rico Open this week. He's sitting T5. If he finishes with a T9 or better, he'll secure special temporary membership and be playing on the PGA Tour. So that's the connectivity of the pathways. That's what the preparation can be for someone like Orion Gerard. Once he gets there, he won't have to worry about making his hotel rooms. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else will handle yeah, that exactly. for him, right? That's an amazing story, and you know, and, and kudos to the, that pathway because without it, and to PGA Tour University, which we can get to too, um, it, it's really important as a former player trying to navigate all of it on your own, week in, week out, going to different arenas, and not being a part of a team. 
um, is, is a much different experience than when you have a team and coordinators and coaches that are doing all that for you. Dan, I, I want to kind of uh, take a turn here and just talk a little bit about your background. You came from the floors, trading floors of Wall Street. You then went uh, and developed training environments for elite military units to soccer. Can you explain that journey and then how you landed in golf? How long we got? <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think listen, I've had a, you know, a, a kind of relatively long and, and you know, meandering path to, to sport. But as I come back to the, the articulation I said to one of the students here yesterday, I think that at the core of it is a real obsession with, with performance data. Um, in the first instance, it was in, a, in an applied setting. And, and getting to the so what, we can, you know, I think sport, like every other industry, is very guilty of technology permits us to collect data. So let's just do more of it and more is better. And, there was real, I think, you know, challenges around, well, let's, let's extract some meaning and insight that can be, can be actioned off the back of it. So the first you know, chunk of my career was, was focused on drawing actual insights out of, out of frankly, performance data that, that was being deployed in, like I say, in financial services. And I was ever, very privileged to be involved in you know, some pretty incredible programs. I then moved into a kind of a, a med tech kind of uh, role. So I have a, you know, when we talk about Shotlink and the challenges that, that Alex referenced, I have a deep understanding of, of, of you know, medical IoT and digital health and, and connected devices and how challenging that, that stuff is. And I think Alex touched on a great point. This is golf. Golf is really unique in this. It's, it's, it's hard. It's not a tennis court. You know, we think about um, how, how easy that is to access data and information, a single court, a single ball, or a single ball in a, in a, in a pitch. Um, and then I, you know, I, I obviously had this burning desire, ambition to, to deploy kind of those that background and, and knowledge in, in sport. And I think more broadly, I think there's a real trend, and we, we certainly recruit for folks. We, uh, and I think Daryl and Jessica talked about this at the top of the conference. You know, the, the kind of diversity in, in thought is incredibly healthy. And I've I've met some folks over the last couple of days where you know I have my mind blown every time I come here and speaking to folks that are working in you know, counter-terrorism programs and the, you know, what is the, the work that they're doing in behavioral intelligence and what contextual insights can that be laid on top of performance insights. So I, I hope I'm, you know, I'm, I've added value to the, the sports environment because I've got a, an understanding of other industries. I think sport sometimes is a, perhaps, if sport was to look in the mirror, I think sometimes we, we perhaps think we're a little further ahead of we are in technology and data than, than we are. So if we can swallow a little bit of pride and, and look left to financial services and, and look right to healthcare, you've got you know, sensing technology and connected devices. You've got predictive information that's been leveraged for forever. So I think the ability to recruit from those domains and, and sport, for a, if you're a recruiter of a sports organization, there's a real talent arb opportunity here, right? Because people you know, will follow their passion. I'm an, I'm an example of this. And, and perhaps you know, people are coming willing to work in sport leverage all this incredible background and know-how and IP from other industries that have been, frankly, fueled by much bigger budgets. The defense budget is pretty significant, and therefore technology comes out of that. We talked about TrackMan. That's, that's fundamental. That's military radar technology, where that was born from, right? So sport, I think, has a... If sport just stops for a moment every now and again and pauses for breath and looks left and looks right and go, what does this look like in best-in-class in talent? What does this look like in terms of IP or technology that's complementary? Don't, you don't have to make the mistakes. Like, let's let other folks do that. Learn from the bumps and scrapes and, and, the, and the budgets that have been misspent and, and, and benefit from it to project sport forward. Yeah, and on, on that note, Mark, I, I think I'll ask you this. You know, we have all this data, and, and I've heard this spoken about this year, at this, uh, yesterday on a couple of the panels that I was listening in on. And, and we have more data than we have ever had to consume, whether it be as a fan or a president of a tour. Um, but, but what do we do with all of it, and, and how do we handle it? And when it comes to golf, um, I'm also a coach in golf. And I find it very tricky to manage the younger players' data. Is it too comprehensive? Is it overwhelming? Uh, versus them actually learning the game uh, and in having enjoyment and fun from it. And, and what are you seeing in the collection of the data, and, and how, how are you targeting um, the best points of clarification for perhaps a player to be looking for? Because they could stand there all day with whatever technology they have. It could be a wearable now in, in golf. It, it could be uh, you know, a quadroscopic unit that's sitting on the ground. It could be a track man. We, we have all this information. Um, how do we manage the human behavior side of it? 
So we actually use it in a way. And then Alex, I may come to you and say, how do we manage it to make money? <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the, the original issues with ShotLink was too much data and too little information, meaning there is 300 or 350 ShotLink stats. What was your putting from three to four feet, four to five feet, five to six feet? And a player would look at this and say, well, I'm ranked one in four to five feet, I'm ranked 10 in six to seven feet, but 180th in between, and it doesn't make any sense. And when you bucket the data into such fine increments, you get noise. You get small sample effects and you get noise. So the question is, how do you turn this mass of data into insights that are actionable for players? And that's one of the things that Strokes Gain would do. You could, you could measure putting more holistically compared to um, wedge shots around the green, compared to approach shots, compared to driving. And then, of course, you could dice and slice it finer if you wanted, but you don't want to start with this, with this big mass of, of data. You want to figure out what's most important. So you could take a look at like a, a player like Justin Rose. He asked me once, what is it going to take me to get to be number one in the world? He was about number 10 at the time. And I said, well, number one in the world, you need to have this many uh, strokes gain versus the field. You're here. You need to get a half a stroke better. And I said, well, you know, like Dan was saying, look at the strengths and weaknesses. Well, you could get a half a stroke by doing this, 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 or this. But the biggest gap would be your short putting. Other gaps you could also work on or some combination. And he started working on his very short putting. And a year later, he improved from ranked like 125th to the top 10. He gained a half a stroke in his short putting relative to where he was, and he became number one in the world, which a lot of other things have to fall, fall into place. But it does give you this kind of actionable insight. And in terms of play, improving player performance, I know uh, the Columbia golf coach went to get a, a, a lesson from a top 100 teacher with the track man to see what it would be like for the team. And one of, the, one of the questions was, you know, I slice the ball, how do, I, how do I fix it? So, well, let's take a look at this number on TrackMan, which was, you know, the, the club phase path. You know, right now it's at minus two. I want you to make that plus four. It wasn't do this with your swing. <laughs> the technology TrackMan gives you a lot of numbers. They said focus on this one number, which was, is the club going inside out, straight or outside in? and he wanted to move it from a minus two number to a plus four, and you just swing and you get feedback. You swing and you get feedback. You swing and you get feedback. And he could move the number the way the coach wanted him to do that, and then it's all internalized because they know the feeling themselves, which you can't get by somebody saying, just swing it this way. Yeah. So I think you can misuse the technology and the data, but there is great uses when they're in the right hands, like, you know, a coach like yourself. Can I, can I build on the, yes. feed, on the on, yes. just on the feedback loop? So we, I, again, this is the kind of outside view coming into sport, right? And there's things, and this is where I think sport can really benefit from that outside view, because I came into the sport and had had access through the work that we were doing in, in Ryder Cup, and we built a solution for the DP World Tour, et cetera. And uh, it was amazing for me, just these behavioral kind of inconsistencies where the, the kind of notion of a, a player would literally, I've seen examples, and I won't name them, but players would walk up over 18, like, pull it left into the grandstand and look at the caddy and blame everyone else um, and walk off the, you know, from 175, yeah, pull it left and then go to the range straight after that, you know, after, the, after that <laughs> hole and beat themselves up from 175 yards trying to perfect it. And you, someone not stepped in here and go, that, that's not the issue, that's just one, that's one shot, it's recency bias and all golfers do it, right? From amateur to the, for the, to the very best in the world. So the ability for information, if you can break that cycle and interject and say, Look, that's that is not the issue. Like, that, there's there's three other areas in the game that are you know deficient relative to where you should be or where you need to be. So, I, I was really amazed at you know really simple things. And to Mark's point, sometimes it's not about you know a gazillion more data points. It's about the timing of an intervention and an insight that someone can grab hold of and shift their behaviour. That I, th I think sometimes we still get lost a little in the data analytics space of. What are we trying to row back from? What does success yeah. look like? Don't do it because we can. I, I'm 
giggling because as a player, <laughs> no, you just have to be really mature because I'd much rather blame the four iron, right? And say, you know, it's just dumb. It's out of whack. I need to get it reloft and lied, right? Yeah, I don't want to, you know, I think some players, you know, you think of a Matt Fitzpatrick who literally has tracked every single ball in flight he's hit since he was 12, including on the range, right? Okay, that dramatic, but, but real. And then you think of uh, Dustin Johnson who uh, I don't think tracks a, a shot, right? Both of them have won major championships and are incredible players. So, so yes, I think that you have to be willing to really take an a close and intensive look at what the real issues are, because I think by the time you become a talented and great player, you have in your head what the issues are, when in fact they could be totally wrong. And that's when a, a great coach or a support team obviously is, is gonna kick in and help you. Um, you know, Alex, I said make money, and I realize you're a nonprofit, so that's just inaccurate. But you yeah. do need it. You need to develop purses uh, that are substantial Absolutely. to have a tour. So when you're looking at your analysis of what's important, like a player would, where, where are the gaps and what am I filling? You know, are, are there certain areas that your team is specifically targeting because of data, or is it an overall 360? Um, definitely the local revenue piece is absolutely critical from our tournament perspective, but I would say another big marker for us is title sponsorship. So we, it, you know, it comes down to content. It comes down to telling, and we talk about telling great stories, taking this data, taking these profiles, and building a really complete picture of these players. And what's fun is we have the ability to tell kind of the golf fan who Will Zalatoris is before he's Will Zalatoris, yeah. right? Who Max Homa is before he's Max Homa. You know, Max had two different stints with the Corn Ferry Tour that really, really gutted it out in 2018 to get his card at our season ending event and to ultimately have an extraordinary 2018 season on the PGA Tour, um, excuse me, 2019 season on the PGA Tour. Um, so telling these stories and creating that interest in um, kind of the, the, the world of sports has really, I'd say since 2019, ironically since I took this job, um, piqued the interest of the title sponsor and the corporate brands out there. And in 2019, we had a total of 15 title sponsors. And today, um, we have a total of 25 out of 26 events with title sponsors. So bringing those brands into this sport is critical to the overall health of our tournaments to be able to contribute to our purse growth and also the operation of those events. But um, that is really a big, big part of our business model and something where we do use um, a lot of that data analytics. And I think, I don't know if everybody's aware of this, but the PGA Tour is the only tour with ShotLink. Uh, the LPGA Tour does not have ShotLink. The Corn Ferry does not have ShotLink. The Latin America and Canada do not have shot link because it's very expensive. Uh, it's on trailers uh, to move from site to site to site. But it is a detriment, in my opinion, to the players on the other tours, inclusive of the LPGA, that they don't have that analytical data. And you know, if you were in the Sue Bird conference yesterday, I, you know, she was uh, critical in the understanding for the NBA and the WNBA to have analytics for their players. And if you think of the LPGA tour, you think of how long they have gone without analytics is disturbing. However, Dan, I know that you had the opportunity to work on that. Um, not, it's not ShotLink. Um, it's not as precise as ShotLink, but thankfully the LPJ now has something thanks to KPMG. So maybe you could yeah, share that. I, yeah, and I, you know, it's, it's, it is surprising and shocking on, on, on many levels. And, and fundamentally, if you think about you go, go back to the starting point of this, which is the kind of cold, hard economics of this. You've got to grow the quality of the sporting product to drive commercial revenue. So why stick a glass ceiling on top of players if you don't enable them to better understand their game, elevate their performance, and compete on the best stage? So that's the starting point. And so there's a very strong business case, right? So we, we are where we are, but I'm, you know, you know, it was, you know KPMG um, have a long-standing association with the LPJ, the, the, the sponsor of the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the PJ Championship, um, that now they've had an association there for some, for some time. And, and they deserve a huge amount of credit because they, these folks have, have leaned in with not insignificant budgets to take you know, a, the first but relative pretty quantum step in terms of where these players have been. Um, it, it is serving players, it's well received by the players because they now feel essentially unlocked 
in, in, in order to better understand their performance and, and prepare um, week to week. The broadcast partners uh, are obviously much happier, and, and to Mark's point with Shotlink, the genesis of Shotlink was to serve you know, the big broadcast partners, um, clients of the tools, to, to you know, give, them, give them more value. So broadcasters are deriving more value. Um, the live talents got more narrative to, to, to call out on the tour and, and to celebrate again, you know, to celebrate how 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 good these players are. Because you know, I'm pretty sick and tired of being around. You know, um, you know, golf clubs and candidly, I've seen numerous and I've called them out. You know, I've, I've, if I see another scratch, a male scratch golfer, tell me how they could compete on the LPJ <laughs> tour. Like, give me a break. And so, but Did I think it's the that? absence. It's the absence of. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quite where's the, hear Where's the you? camera? Uh, um, but but it's true. And I think at the heart of this is again, it comes back to storytelling. If we don't have the ability to leverage credible information in order to communicate just how good they are, and I love the fact now that we're in a situation. I've got a ten-year-old daughter. She's getting into the game. We're touching new audiences. I love the fact the conversation now. Why, why are we? Why is it taken until 2020? one to 22 to have a conversation which is who's the best male putter on the planet from 20 feet who's the best female putter on the planet from 20 feet let's just have a conversation about the best putter on the planet right so i think kpmg have a you know they've, they've leaned in they deserve a lot of credit they run an incredible program they host a big conference uh, aligned with the pga and they I'll say they deserve a, a huge amount of credit and lots of folks are, are benefiting from it um all over from, the, say, the players and the broadcast to, to, to narrative creation and, and, and to fans. And so um, hopefully it's the first step. And I know that there's, you know, there's technologies and there's a lot of sharing. Yeah, available. and I'd say the great news is we are working on a ShotLink product called ShotLink Select that would be, is, is a solution for Corn Ferry Tour, would absolutely be a solution for the LPGA Tour. And essentially, you know, you talked about trucks. It takes all of that heavy infrastructure and thanks to our partners at AWS, creates a cloud-based system and creates a, it's a GPS wearable tracking device that every player in the field would wear and allows us to track ball at rest data and ultimately be able to have a similar output in terms of a shot link product for fans, for our players, um, for manufacturers, right? So as they're supporting their players. Um, so excited about that development. And um, we've, we've been testing. We tested for the entire half of last year. We've got two more test tournaments coming up at the end of March. And then I'm, I'm hopeful we'll be able to launch our product in April. And I know the intent is absolutely to make it available um, across other tours. Yeah, Mark. You know, when we, when we go back to strokes gained and shot link, can you talk a little bit about the data files collected? Because I think it's important to remind ourselves that when you're tracking data in golf, it's not a flat surface. Nothing is flat. You're outside. You're never inside, other than if you're in a simulator playing in a tournament, which that is the case now. You can go do that. Um, but if you were outside playing in a tournament, so you have wind conditions, which obviously other sport do as well, but you have them from a 360 directional opportunity during the entire telecast. So if you're on a, an, in a football stadium, as the wind shifts, of course the wind direction can change based on the climate of that day. But if you think about a golf course, the golf course runs north-south, east-west, and runs cross for every single hole that's out there. So your wind conditions are changing per shot as is the turf. So geography matters when you play the game. You have different grass conditions around the world, and you have different grass conditions from locality to locality. You could go from playing a bent green golf course to Bermuda to, uh, there's just too many to list, Rye. So you know, at the end of the day, what, what, is, what is being collected and, and, and why? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about um, why that matters when it comes to revenue generation as far as betting is concerned. Sure, so you get not only where a shot starts and where it finishes, but you get the elevation information. So you get X, Y, Z information, and you can marry that with a map of the hole. So you know where the fairway is, where the bunkers are, but you also know the contours of the fairway. And if a drive hits into an upslope, it's not gonna roll as far. If it hits onto a downslope, it could get 20, 30 extra yards of roll. So the contours of the hole matter, and certainly the contours on the green matter for putts. So it's a lot easier to sink an eight-foot straight uphill putt. But if you're on 
uh, a very slopey green, which you can get from the shot link data, you can measure in a more refined way the difficulty of putts. Are players better on left to right breaking putts than right to left breaking putts? And so you put that together with the wind information and you get very detailed uh, performance data, which of course is um, helpful for betters if, if they know that which player can play better in certain wind conditions on certain holes. And so part of what, what the betters look at is not just how good is this player, but how good is this player on this course versus that course, and in these wind conditions versus those wind conditions. So what we look at is storytelling and for coaching, understanding player performance, also betters are looking at that information to try and make better predictions about who's going to win or come in the top 10. And I'll, I'll give you a little tip. If you're confused about who plays better on what green surface, and if they've had a good week but normally don't, look where they grew up. Most of the time, analytically, we're way better on the turfs that we grew up on than the turfs that we've moved to in an adult later stage in our lives. So just a little betting tip for you. <laughs> right. I've got some live questions, too, and I, I want to make sure to get to those. Um, for, and it's for any of you, but, but this one's probably more for Alex. What are the ways in which the tours are looking to improve the in-person fan experience? Um, you know, I think there's, there, it's such a unique opportunity. Um, there's so much happening at our events. And what I do love about our tournaments is that they do kind of represent and reflect the communities where they are. You know, no two tournaments are alike. Um, whether it's, you know, again, a Honda or player, you know, coming into Players' Championship this week and sort of the experiences that are created around the competition, whether it's by hole, um, whether it's location on that hole. Um, I think it's, um, we, we've, we, the sport is, the, the amount of momentum and interest in our sport today, and we were talking about this earlier, is at an absolute all-time high. And it's been fun watching, you know, Netflix and their full swing um, show that just came out, the competitive uh, elements, uh, just, just the competition this year that has started. Um, and, and, and our tournaments have just been so savvy about integrating kind of local experiences, whether it's food, whether it's music, whether it's um, just you know, distinct features and experiential components. So um, it's, I, I'm so proud of where we've all come in terms of the game. And you talk a lot about having passion um, for your job. And, and it's just been so fun to sort of see the creativity and I think the exploration that's happened. Can I, can I build a couple, just a couple of examples in terms of the, the in-event kind of experience where, and where the, the role that data plays there with, I see a chap here wearing a Ryder Cup jacket. Um, the, 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 there's some bad memories from Whistling Straits, but we'll move on from, from that. The, I think we're, we're providing some, um, some predictive data. So on the Ryder Cup, owned and operated, you can go to the app and there'll be an outcome probability tool. So, so for fans that are on site, yeah. you know, don't, you know, the ability to have access to information, because you, ultimately you're still only seeing one, one hole and, and you know, as beautiful as Whistling Straits is, and it is genuinely stunning, you, you still don't have a great perception of what else is going around the golf course. So I think the ability to take information and insight that's predictive to fans in their pocket on the golf course is, is one, you know, great use case. We've worked with the USGA to think about scoring boards. And, and right, I think, again, in, in a lot of the stuff we do is maybe my influence, for, again, outside in, you know, in is that you don't have to recreate the, the wheel here. So we looked at the USGA and, and some of their properties and the on-site scoring board. Uh, the, the, there's a ton of utility. That is an incredible touch point for an awful number of people. And think about where they get installed around greens and tee boxes. Well, behind the green, you know, rightly or wrongly, for, forever, People are having, after several beers in the afternoon, you're sat there on a, on a marquee par three, and you're having you know, five pound hit the green, miss the green bets, right? So amongst yourselves in, 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 the, in, the, in the crowd. So why not give more contextual intelligence that goes up on that screen to say, what might be the chances or some career insights or you know, week to date, season to date with this player from this, this distance. And so some of those things are, again, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, you know, we talked about wagering, it doesn't have to point to wagering. What it's pointing to is contextual intelligence to support a debate. And we just want to have a conversation. If people are having conversations about golf, that's great. You know, that, and I think there's a, there's a ton of examples of that. We built some other use cases where 
momentum shifts. You know, we did a, a big activation for, for BP with, with NBC, and they wanted to kind of inform fans or point fans, and it was the kind of BP on the, cha on the, on the charge kind of um, activation. And so the ability to leverage predictive intelligence to say, you know, this is, this is happening. We, this, this player's going to go through the next two or three holes. The predictive intelligence is going to suggest this match might be in this state, but there's going to be a, a swing here we anticipate. If you get that alert on, in your pocket and you're on hole X and you've got the ability to get over to hole Y to get amongst that. So there's a ton of use cases where predictive intelligence in the pocket of a fan on the golf course um, is adding a ton of value. And it wasn't that long ago that you didn't, you couldn't have cell phones on right. a yeah. tournament. There's still one place you can. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, coming up here pretty quickly. You know, it's funny because when you were saying that about the scoreboards, I think it's amazing as a fan experience. As a player, there's nothing worse than looking up and seeing that you have an 8% chance of making this <laughs> We were so very selective. I'm just here to tell you that the players aren't necessarily loving that predictive analysis that's making the fans uh, happier and better, unless they're a player that's like, okay, I'm going to show them. I'm going to do the 92% at this point. But, you know, I, I think, too, when you think about golf and you think about gamification of the, of the game itself, um, I was having a conversation with a gentleman that is the chief commercial officer yesterday for the PGA of America, and the Ryder Cup is obviously coming up in Italy. And you think about how we can create this better fan experience. So certainly we have ball tracking now, which now when I don't have it and I'm watching, I'm annoyed. So I love that. Um, I love the apex, the height of the golf ball. I love, I love launch angle data. I love ball speed data. For any of you that, that love the game and are really avid uh, golfers, though, that's data points that you're probably like, oh, what's my ball speed versus their ball speed? It gives you a really nice comparison. But I think it'll be interesting over time what those analytics continue to be that we show to the fan based on consumer engagement for those properties that the telecast is actually showcasing. But if you think about a Ryder Cup, you think about a, a major championship, which we have the biggest fan engagement and most eyeballs typically in media. You think about how, how can we create the opportunity for more people to be on the rope line, right? And if you think about what Microsoft was doing here uh, this week, and you think about AR, and you think about the opportunity for somebody to actually be in the moment on the first tee at the Ryder Cup, but not at the Ryder Cup because they can't get a ticket or they can't go there. I think that technology for somebody here in the audience to realize that we don't do that in golf. We don't give the fan an experience at waste management, for example. We can all watch it on TV if we're not in Phoenix wanting to enjoy it. But why in the world can't we really be there, not really be there, right, in, in reality? So I, I think we have so much room to create this greater fan experience. And when you talk about juniors, we had a little conversation um, the VIP. Right now, what's exciting about the game of golf is our largest growing segment is juniors, and our largest growing segment after that is women. And when you look at fan engagement in 10 years' time, I, I think all tours, I think all media outlets will start to acknowledge the fact that the game is going to look very different than it does today, the participants and the fan base. And right now, 38% of junior golfers are girls. And that number is incredible for the game of golf. And you think about that and how that's going to change the mindset of corporate brands, of revenue generation, and fan enhancement as we go forward. And 25% of that total number of juniors are those that identify as non-white. 25% in the game of golf is not even close to where it needs to be, but a, a, a huge leap. So I think as companies like yours, Dan, move into the future, how do you see yourself addressing that as we go? And it's for anybody, really. Um, and what moves should analytics, data, and those that are in the audience looking to be entrepreneurs take advantage of that data? Yeah, I've got a couple of, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. I, I, we talked about this before we went around the back. I'm, I'm incredibly bullish about the future of golf. I think the golf right now is a once-in-a-generational kind of moment in time to basically secure its future and lock it down and make it thrive for the next 50 years. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot to be a lot to be excited about. We can talk about, you know, there's a fragmentation at the top of the game. That's another panel conversation entirely. But it there is so much to get excited about. You know, the front pages, the back pages of, of, of the press, it's on Netflix. My, you know, my kids are great. You know, I have a wonderful focus group in the form of four kids, right, aged between 13 and six. And if I think about the way that they're interacting with the game, 
this is the future, and we as an industry have to make sure that we're thinking about their needs, not necessarily mine. I'm always going to pitch up in the broadcast and, and consume it. So I'm super, super excited about um, what golf has to, um, you know, has, has ahead of it. Let me give you one example of where kind of the intersection of what we can do with data today and how we're making it kind of more relevant to a more youthful audience. So Sky Sports is a, is a long-time um, partner of ours back in, the, back in the UK. And to your point about the, the, the kind of, we all love the trace, right, in the, in the broadcast. It gives us context that we've never had, because unless you have an incredible eyesight and can pick it, it's, it's difficult. So having that trace gives you great, you great context. My challenge to those folks was knowing that your commercial and audience objectives are to reach different audiences, more diverse audiences, more youthful audiences, is giving them a ton of information in the broadcast about launch monitor characteristics, the best way to engage those folks? Probably not. So we went through a journey to say, well, again, let's row back from the, the ultimate audience and commercial objectives. What are you seeking to achieve? How do we plug the gap from a technology perspective? So we take in radar data, launch monitor data, and ironically, as always, there's a whole bunch of complexity in to create a really simple output in the graphics. So we process 10,000 simulations. We get 15 endpoints in. We process 10,000 simulations. We get a 0 to 100 score back into a graphic in less than two seconds before the ball hits apex. And all it's seeking to do, that 0 to 100 score, my six-year-old, it fills my heart with joy when he yells when Rory McIlroy cracks 99 on the strike meter. <laughs> he gets it. He doesn't get apex at 97 feet. doesn't relate to it. Right. And what, what, you know, I, the kind of use of data and how we democratize data in golf, the next step of that is to engage the next generation in something that's gamified. These are things they're seeing in FIFA. These are things they're seeing in, in, in things in the, the, you know, that they're touching and feeding and, and using uh, in their everyday lives. The next step for the conversation with, with little Eddie, who sees a 99, is the obvious next question is, what do you think your score is? What do you think my score is? Well, let's go find out. So taking that type of insight, sometimes less is more. And I think for that generation, we've got to be mindful about you and I want all of that deep dive statistics. Sure. So how do you reconcile those two things? And, and digital is the answer, right? Linear is going to, we're going to, we didn't have to put stuff down the tube. The digital space where you've got the creativity to say, personalize my experience, your experience is probably the same. I want to know what the apex is. I want to know the Z coordinate of a putt to know that all, like, all putts from eight feet aren't created equal. I want to know that. Does Eddie, age six, he doesn't give, he doesn't give a damn about that stuff, right? <laughs> he wants the smoke and the second spectrum and the, the fireworks and everything else going off. So I think digital is a super exciting you know, space where we can start as, as consumers to, be, to have a really personalized experience. Yeah, thanks for that, Dan. And, and there was a question here about, you know, where do we think the tours are going to go with um, interviewing players during their actual round as a fan enhancement and a fan experience? Mark, I thought you had an interesting take on the collegiate level, and then we'll get back to that if we have time, about the viewing experience and how we could build these stories. Um, can you share that about televising, uh, like kind of like March? Oh, there. I mean, there are some uh, some great moments with. Uh, Max Homa with Tom Kim doing doing the interviews with the broadcaster while they're playing a hole in the, the caddy player uh, player conversation. But I think in terms of like storytelling, it would be great if NCAA golf had as much viewership or a fraction of the viewership as March Madness, because then fans are invested with schools and they become invested with the players from those schools. They then see them graduate through the PGA Tour University program to the Corn Ferry Tour, Canadian Tour, Latin American Tour. And now the, the fans don't see somebody pop up at the Ryder Cup years later. They, they're invested in the entire story of this, this player's experience. And you gave a couple of, of great examples of that. And one, one place where I see data coming in is it would be great if you had shot tracking information down to the collegiate level and even the high school level because uh, college coaches want to recruit the right players and then you want to have the right players in college move on to the Corn Ferry Tour and then the PGA Tour. So a question for the audience is how do you make that kind of data accessible to everybody? And in terms of growing the game, I think what, Susie, you've done with the PGA of America, the PGA Junior League, other initiatives like Top Golf are really expanding the game both at the young level and the fun level. 
Yeah, um, it's funny. So go ahead. I was going to build on the PGA Tour University. I mean, if in, in launching that program in 2020, it was the first time in over 50 years that we established a direct connection between the professional game and the NCAA game, right? And had that official pathway. It's you could say it's sort of our version of the NFL draft, or um, and the undertaking and talking about sort of the compilation of data to create that ranking system that crosses over not just the collegiate events, but also contemplates all the top amateur events and PGA Tour and professional events that these players are um, participating in and creating the segmentation where it is those sort of graduating seniors when we first started. And today, what is we've announced in the last few months is that number one player on the PGA, uh, excuse me, on PGA Tour University ranking is gonna go straight to the PGA Tour. So in June of 2023, for the first time ever, you know, currently Ludwig Aberg, who is the number one player, um, he's T9 at Bay Hill this week playing. He's going to be teeing it up um, in his first professional, you know, as a professional, the RBC Canadian Open, right? And, and again, sort of from an entrepreneurship perspective and how we're using that data and for people in this room, the NIL opportunities, right? How we continue to sort of make that, that further connection, I think is, is really exciting as far as the runway ahead. I think we have time for one more question. So any of you can take it. How have improvements in player performance technology and fitness been counteracted by increase in course difficulty, longer yardage, faster greens, et cetera. Mark, Dan, any thoughts on that? So I think scoring has come down a lot less than it would have otherwise because the courses have just gotten more difficult. They've gotten longer, the greens are firmer, and so it's all relative. When you rent a tournament, you're beating, you're beating the field. But there's certainly a difference between PGA Tour courses and Corn Ferry Tour courses. And you can actually see players that go back and forth get to the PGA Tour, they don't drive it as far as they do on the Corn Ferry Tour. They didn't change their mechanics, they didn't change their physique, whatever. It's, they play the courses the way it's best to play them. And if the course allows you to bomb it really far, they will. And if the course requires a little bit more conservative accuracy type approach, uh, they'll do that. So the, the course setup really affects the tournaments. And there's a ton of talk, of course, about how the US Open compares to Augusta, compares to uh, the Arnold Palmer tournament this week and to, to Corn Ferry Tour events. So it was one of the things that makes golf hugely interesting compared to many other sports that are on a fixed surface of fixed dimensions. You get, you're outside and you're, you have the elements and the grasses are different as, as you said on the green. So a lot of data you know, goes, goes into understanding those performance differences. Yeah, just I think there's a couple of just to maybe thread the, the um, you mentioned about the you know the driving distance piece is, is you know the athleticism that's now on display is just is, is, is phenomenal right and the clubhead speeds these folks are achieving so that that is a you know a strong leading indicator for success on on the tour but, but it, you know looking for players to have the ability to identify and we talked about this before gaps in their kind of performance portfolio you mentioned the physical preparation. Matt Fitzpatrick is a great example of this, right? There was a, there was a gap there. It, his religious and his documentation of the data, it drives a behavior, which he, and it was very well documented, all the things that he was doing, crazy, you know, tricks with, with speed coaches and I think leveraging baseball and, and all sorts the of stack. external, right? <laughs> and, and so, and, you know, he's identified a gap, addressed it, you know, the behavior was correct, the intervention was great, and, and we have a great outcome and a, you know, and a, and a first time major champion on the, on the back of that work. Yeah, and I think it's important to realize, and, and all of you probably do know this, but the conversation about driving distance and length of the ball and, and rewinding the ball, and I mean, that's a whole nother panel in itself, but the longest ball hitters don't win every week, right? They win often, but they don't win every week. I mean, there's reason Kyle Berkshire is not on the PGA Tour. All respect to Kyle, his ball speed is out of control, and I think he breaks more drivers than he actually hits in World Long Drive Championships. But, you know, it's, it's not the only factor. And I, I think that's important to understand when you're looking at analytics. And there's, there's alpha and beta, as we heard. And, and in golf, there's just so many variables. Um, being great at one of them doesn't make yeah. you elite. It's a complete player. Yeah, exactly. You need a complete player. Um, any final thoughts for where we're going? Where are we going with analytics in golf and in 
uh, hosting championships. I'll start with you, Mark. So I think it would be great if we had shot trajectory information for every shot. So the technology is there, but the cost needs to come down. I think it would be great if we had shot tracking data all the way down to, to high school or as many other tours besides you know, the big tours that, the, that we could. And I think it would be great, we didn't talk too much about biomechanical information, but I think it would be great if on every shot, instead of the announcer saying, look at where the position is at the top, if the player hits at 50 yards to the right, we'd have the biomechanical profile live to say this is what the player did on this swing that caused that outcome. And so coaches use it for, for training, but to bring it into the fan experience in an understandable uh, and fun way, I think would be great. Oh, that's cool. It's, I mean, it's everywhere. It's, it's from a competitive standpoint, it's easy, scalable, cost-effective solutions to be able to provide fans and players richer, more robust sets of data from a business insights perspective in our business. It's really be able to continue to create actionable data to inform how tournaments and our businesses operate. I mean, at the risk of being predictable from the commercial guy in the US to say betting, betting. betting. Um, but I, I think for different reasons than Mark talked, Mark talked about how you can, you know, there's, you leverage the information and more granular information to get an edge in the market. What I think is super interesting from, a, from betting and with all the right compliance and integrity stuff in, in play is, is the rights holders opportunity to A, leverage that from a commercial opportunity that can drive back to, to player purses. Um, but more importantly, it's a reason for a fan to care. If you've got a wager on something, you're going to care a little bit more. So as long as it's done at the right levels, it's affordable, and all that good stuff is in place, I think betting provides unique opportunities to drive, to drive, um, to drive revenue and drive unique engagement. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Thanks to all of you for attending, and I hope you have a great rest of your conference. Thank you. Thank you.